Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Kings Avenue Baptist Church. I really hope that you're doing well. I, I hope that you know that Melanie and I, we pray for you often. We pray for our church family, our church leaders, each of you. Uh, we're lifting you up in prayer. We love you. We miss you. Uh, we're looking forward to being reunited again, uh, again soon uh, at some point. And just know that until then, we're lifting you up in prayer and just want you to be encouraged in the Lord. You know, last week we kicked off this new series uh, on But God, and we started talking about those times in history where God pivots a negative circumstance into his blessing, where he changes and, and moves uh, a situation that is overcome or overwhelming or burdensome, and he changes that into a situation of his blessing and provision and direction. We started talking about how uh, last week that God is not done with you and a couple really important elements that we talked about last week. First, that God has a plan and a place for us, for each and every one of us. Our past doesn't disqualify us. What the world says about us doesn't matter. Uh, even when we try to write ourselves off or anything like that, God has a plan and he will be the one to equip us. We talked about how Christ, he challenged us. He says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, we can't forget the fact that he talks about a yoke, which implies that there is work to do. He talks about a burden, which implies that there is sacrifice. But the, the issue is, what he is challenging us in is, don't just hold on to the, the burden of death. Rather, take the burden of life that he offers, and only he offers. We talked about the fact that God is not limited by our limitations, that the things that we see that limit our own productivity, that limit our own usefulness, God is not inhibited by any of those things. God can use us even in those things that we see limit ourselves. He is limitless. He is supernatural. Lastly, we talked about the fact that God will absolutely equip us to do everything that he has called us to do. We know that if he, if he equipped Jesus with life after Jesus had died, if he equipped Jesus with life in that moment to finish accomplishing his will, we know that he will equip us with whatever we need to accomplish what he has called us to do. Today we're going to be continuing on in this But God series, talking about the fact that God remembers us. So our title today is But God Remembered. And I just, let's start off like we always do with prayer. And let's just pray today that we aren't encumbered by our circumstance, that the things that are around us that make us feel maybe distant or separate from God, that we're able to lay those things down and to hear God's voice today. Because the, the, the message for each and every one of us is that God has remembered us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we give our time, we give our heart, we give our spirits to you. Lord, we just surrender to you in this time. Father, we ask that you speak to us. We ask that you speak through the noise of the world, the noise of just the, the burdens and distractions and stress that, that many of us might be feeling right now. God, speak through that. Let your voice overpower those things and let us hear the truth of your love, the truth of your mindfulness of us, God. Let that truth penetrate our heart, produce fruit in our life. Let it change us from the inside out, Lord God. We surrender to you. We, we just celebrate your presence, celebrate your closeness, God, and celebrate your love. Lord, we just look forward to the change and the work that you're going to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our, our main passage for today, we're going to go all the way back, almost to the beginning, into the book of Genesis. We're going to be talking about 
Noah and the time that we see that God remembered Noah. Now, before we do that, we need to understand kind of what happened before the but God, right? So in Genesis chapter 6, we see that it says that corruption was increasing in the world and Noah was the only one that was living a blameless life. God had decided to put an end to the world, and you know the story, through a flood, and uh, he tells Noah to build an ark. Now, God explains what he's going to do. He tells Noah, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to save your family alone. I'm going to send animals. Uh, And he gives them some very specific instructions. And he says to Noah, build this ark. He says, I'm making a covenant with you, a promise to you, that despite my destruction of the earth, I will save you. Your family will survive. Now, Scripture isn't clear about how long it took Noah to, to build the ark. Most, most uh, scholars, they believe that it took him about a hundred years, uh, but it, it, and it couldn't, take long, couldn't have taken longer than that. But whether or not it took 50 years or a hundred years, let's just think about for a moment all that Noah endured, all that Noah experienced. I mean, can you imagine the level of ridicule? Can you imagine how often he must have been just, uh, you know, insulted by his community, by the people around him, because he was the only one, remember, he was the only one obeying God, the only one of his time that was living a blameless life before the Lord. And so here he is in this situation, and oftentimes we feel the burden, right? We think about how difficult it is to obey God in our time, but Noah, I believe he had it worse because we have our church family. We have those around us. Noah and his family were the only ones living blameless. But I think we, instead of being overcome or overwhelmed by Noah's suffering, let's be inspired by it. You see, Noah, he spent whatever time was needed And he endured whatever ridicule was necessary to do everything that God demanded of him. He didn't leave a single detail out. And he couldn't, right? His his family's survival depended on it. Humanity's survival depended on it. The animal's survival depended on it. And after he finished the ark, God says, Okay, Noah, go into the ark, and the flood began. Now, this was more than just a rainstorm. It says that the fountains of the deep opened up. And so we have water coming from the earth and water coming from the heavens for 40 days and 40 nights until the entire earth was covered. Even like all of the mountains to include Mount Everest, 29,000 feet of water covering every inch of the earth. Can you imagine how small and how alone Noah and his family might have felt in this time? That the only eight humans alive at this point, because all humanity has died, all humanity has been uh, just put to death and, uh, through God's punishment being meted out on the earth. And here they are on a boat, just surrounded by water. There's nothing but water on the face of the earth at this point. And it says that after 40 days and 40 nights, the flood ended, but the flood waters, they remained. But we see this in Genesis chapter 8 is where we pick up the story. So we see in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 8 this. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were uh, with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. So think about this, right? So God, he sees Noah and he remembers him in his condition. We know that that flood was complete. The situation was dire, but no one 
And no one had survived except for Noah and his family. When we look at this, we see that God, it says that, but God remembered Noah, despite being alone, despite being the only, you know, people alive and on this boat amidst all of this water, God remembered Noah. He remembered his condition. He remembered the promise that he made to him. And he remembered that Noah was suffering. God had caused the suffering. He even equipped Noah to, to, to endure it. He called him to endure that suffering. He equipped and empowered him to endure the suffering. And then God remembered him in the suffering. This is a promise that we need to walk in. That even there, there might be times in our lives or in, when we're in circumstance that you know, God is using to teach us something, using to demonstrate or grow our faith, but he's equipped us to work through or be, you know, f- uh, go through that suffering and survive through that suffering, and he will remember us in it. This is an important element for us to, to remember. You see, Paul, he wrote in Corinthians that the things that we read in the Old Testament, they were there as examples to us, the lessons for us to learn. And what we read is, you know, we are not alone. We learn that we are not alone, that God remembers us in our situation, no matter how difficult, no matter how dire, no matter how much we might think we are close to the end. God sees us. He has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten you. He remembers you right where you are. And we can rest assured that this is his truth because we see this throughout scripture. And there's one area, just as I was studying uh, that I want to just call out, you know, there's, as I was looking, there's certainly a, a theme that we're going to dive into here in a little bit about God remembering us in our condition of, you know, sin and, and, and not forgetting the covenant that he's made with us. But when you, when you study or you look up, but God remembered, what you find is that often it says that God remembered those people, those women especially, that were struggling to grow their family those women that were struggling to have children, they desperately wanted them. And just to me, um, because it really speaks to me, I I, I just know from experience what this feels like. I want to just share with you what what we see in Scripture there very quickly. Just a, a list of a few of them. Sarah, she was Abraham's wife. She was barren, but, but God gave her Isaac. Now, Rebecca, one of, she was Isaac's wife, and she was also barren, but God gave her Jacob and Esau. And then later, Jacob's wife, Rachel, she was barren, but God gave her Joseph and Benjamin. And then later in Scripture, Manoah, she was barren as well, but God gave her Samson. And then when we look at Hannah, she was unable to have children, but God gave her Samuel. And then in the New Testament, Elizabeth, she was unable to have children, but God gave her John, who became John the Baptist. And the reason I share this with you is because all throughout Scripture, we see that God, He still remembers. He remembers those who struggle to grow their family. I share this with you because out of experience, I know this to be true, and I know this to be true today. I listen, I, listen, I know that some of you are, are struggling with this very element. I know that this is something that, that many people uh, battle and, and, and work through, and I just want you to know that God sees you. He knows the struggle that you're having. I, just from my own experience, I've told you before about my, my family's struggle with fertility. My son Samuel, 15 years old, he's adopted. My, my, my oldest daughter, Marley, she's going to be nine in June. Uh, and, and our twin girls, they are just turned two. Listen, we tried for years before we had to go to a specialist. And, and, and throughout all of that difficulty, what we knew was God remembered us because he would consistently speak to us. He would consistently encourage us. 
And even after, especially with the girls, with Marley and the twins, after their births, I mean, there were challenges that came with it. Marley almost died when she was three days old. And I I was angry. And God said, John, I remember you. I remember the promise that I made to you. And then when the twins were born, they had some issues, not as severe as Marley's, but it was because of the issues that the twins had that my wife, Melanie, that her life was saved. You see, God remembered us even in that condition. I share all of this with you today because I want you to know that God sees you. I want you to know that God has placed that desire in your heart. And and if he is the one that has placed it, which I believe that he has, then you can rest assured that he will be the one to fulfill that desire. When we look at this, we, we can be encouraged at the history that we see in Scripture. I want you to be encouraged by what God has done for me. And l- listen, this is an example of God remembering the promise that he has made to his people. God does not forget. The Bible says it's impossible for him to lie. So when God it makes you a promise, whether it's for children or something else, you can rest assured that he will keep his word. We see this demonstrated throughout Scripture as well, all the way back to the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 2, uh, we see God speaking about how he remembered the covenant with the, his people. And we look at, you know, honestly, that was it reiterated throughout their history. And often, once they got, uh, even once they inhabited the promised land, it often said when they were in difficult times that God remembered the covenant that he had made with their ancestors. And it goes all the way back to when they were pulled out of slavery. We see this in Exodus chapter 2. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now the temptation might be to, to kind of just look at this and, and snidely remark, you know, well, why did it, why did it take God 400 years to remember his people in slavery? I think a better question is, why did it take his people 400 years in slavery to cry out to God? You know, oftentimes we find ourselves in difficult situations or in a difficult condition, yet we refuse to cry out to the Lord, not, not, not even realizing that as soon as we cry out to him, he will be true to his word and meet us where we are, even if it's just to remind us that he is with us and he will bring us through. When we look at the Israelites in this situation, once they finally cried out to God, it says that he heard them, and that is when he sent the deliverer. That is when Moses comes onto the scene, and and he begins to be equipped and be made ready to come and deliver the people. The hope that we have is that we were once all slaves to sin. We were surrendering ourselves to it, offering suffering Uh, without crying out to the Lord. And yet we see that God remembered us in that state and he sent his son to deliver us, to set us free from being slaves. We see this in Romans chapter 6. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient uh, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having, uh, having become slaves of... Having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, 
you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a wonderful passage. You know how much I love Romans. And uh, Romans chapter 8 being my favorite chapter, Romans chapter 6 being the second favorite chapter. And I want to just break this down for you. So like the nation of Israel, we were once slaves. And maybe you find yourself still in that condition of slavery to sin. You see, you're in that place, and it says that we once presented ourselves, we offered ourselves as slaves to sin. It's like the Israelites spending 400 years in slavery before they cried out to God. You see, oftentimes as we give in to sin, we're not even resisting. We're not crying out to the Lord. We're just giving in to the temptation. We're giving in to the things uh, that we know separate us from Him, and we're not seeking deliverance. But it's in that place of slavery to sin where there was no benefit. It says that the fruit that we got from it, we were only ashamed of, and that fruit leads to death. It says that the wages of sin is death. But in that place where you, you can probably remember the time that you cried out to God. And maybe you've done that many times where you've, you know, you've received that gift of salvation, but you still fall into those temptations and you've called out to the Lord asking him to deliver you from that slavery to sin because we continue to go back. What we see is that God, even anticipating that, knowing that that would come, he sent Jesus while we were still sinners to come and set us free from that burden of sin, from being slaves to sin. And because he set us free from being slaves to sin, we now have a choice. And we must choose to be slaves to God. We must choose to be slaves to righteousness. We must choose to offer ourselves, to present ourselves to the Lord. It's completely surrendered to him. And when we do that, it says that we will receive life. The fruit of making that choice, the fruit of being a slave to the Lord, of being a slave to righteousness, is sanctification, it's purification, it is life, eternal life that only comes from Christ. It says the wages of sin is death. So when we offer ourselves as slaves to sin, that is our only, that's the only thing ahead of us. But when we offer ourselves as slaves to God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's because of Christ's sacrifice that a new covenant has been set up. It says that Jesus established a new covenant in his blood. He fulfilled the law. That old covenant has been fulfilled and he established a new one in his blood. And honestly, what happens, we see this in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, that it, it also brings about a, a new element of remembrance for God. So let's, let's turn and see what it says. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. So it's saying that because of Jesus, he's going, God is establishing a new covenant, not like the one when he brought them out of slaves of Egypt. It says, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities 
listen to this, I will remember their sins no more. So it says that God remembers the covenant that he had with the nation of Israel, but he, he set them free from slavery, but he's going to establish a new covenant through Jesus Christ. And we look at this and we know that in that covenant, just I want to list the things, the promises that God provides in that, in that uh, new covenant. He says that he will write or he will put his laws on our minds, that he will write them on our hearts, that he will be our God and we will be his people. He says that all will know me. We won't be dependent on someone else to introduce us. We won't be dependent on someone else's connection and relationship with God. You're not dependent on my relationship with the Lord. Uh, You're not waiting for me to intervene on your behalf to God. Rather, you can have a direct connection and a direct and intimate relationship with God yourself. It says that he will be merciful to us. And I love the end. It says that he will remember our sins no more. So what we see is that God, he remembers us, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he remembers our sin no more. This is a wonderful picture of God's love and his grace that he remembers us, but he remembers our sin no more. You might ask how this would be possible, and of course this can only happen through Christ and the fact that, you know, Jesus, he bore us into God's presence. He took us with him into God's presence 2,000 years ago, and God remembers what Jesus did. God remembers the fact that Jesus died on the cross. He remembers the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, and because of that, he remembers our sin no more. The week leading up to Easter, we talked about just the different things that Jesus did on each day uh, from Monday all the way through Saturday. Uh, and one of the things we talked about on Saturday just is, is so exciting to think about what Jesus did on the day after his crucifixion, but before his resurrection. And I want to just share that with you today. Uh, maybe you uh, heard about it in, a de- in one of the dive deepers, but in, in case you didn't, I just want to share it because it's, it's to me, it's just so exciting and, a, and just perfect picture of God's love for us. So we, we start in Hebrews chapter 9. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So this passage What it shows us is after Jesus died on Friday, after he was crucified, he's laid in the tomb, on Saturday he is in God's presence. Now he didn't go into the man-made temple, it says. He didn't go into the one that is a copy of the true temple. He actually went into the, the very throne room of God in heaven. And it says that he didn't enter by the blood of a goat or a heifer or of of a lamb. Rather, he entered through his own blood, the blood of the perfect lamb, the only ever perfect lamb that was sacrificed on the cross. He entered by his own blood. And when he, he is there, he has offered that blood. It was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And he entered there to secure our eternal redemption. You see, the point of that is he's the high priest. When he would go into the Holy of Holies, every year on the Day of Atonement. 
he would have to you know, use that blood to enter the Holy of Holies, the, the blood of the lamb or the goat, and he would sprinkle that blood on the elements in the Holy of Holies. He would have to sanctify himself, and he would go in and he would do that, and then they would you know, send a scapegoat out into the wilderness, and you know, this had to happen every single year. But it says that Jesus, one time, once, for all people and for all time, he entered into God's presence because of his perfect shed blood, not to offer or attain an annual covering, rather an eternal redemption for all who would believe in him. This is the offering that, or the, the, the sacrifice that he made as an offering for us. And this is why God will say that he remembers us, but he remembers our sin no more. But even beyond all of this, there's something uh, additional that we understand because this perfectly demonstrates that Jesus is our high priest because he enters into the Holy of Holies. He entered into God's throne room on our behalf. And we get a, a better understanding or rather a complete picture of what this means. And we go all the way back to the Old Testament. We're going to go back to Exodus in chapter 28. And we see that God is giving Moses the expectation for Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother, and he is going to be the first high priest. And God says to Moses, these are the things that Aaron must do. These are the things that Aaron must wear as he comes into my presence in the Holy of Holies. And so let's read what it says in Exodus chapter 28. It says, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. And shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Do, do, you, see, do you see this? Aaron, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he was carrying the nation of Israel on his shoulders. It says that that onyx stone on his, on his one shoulder and the other onyx stone on the other shoulder, it had the names of the tribes of Israel. So that when he entered into God's presence, he was carrying the nation on his shoulders. Later in Exodus 28, there's a breast piece that is described. And again, there's actually an individual stone for each of the tribes of Israel. So Aaron carries the nation over his shoulders and over his heart. And it says, do you see the purpose? It says that he brings them before God for remembrance. And so what does that tell us? What does it tell us? That Jesus literally carried us on his shoulders, literally carried us over his heart when he went into God's presence on our behalf. And because of this, because of what he did for us, we experience freedom. We are set free from sin. We are set free from the burdens because God remembers what Jesus did he remembers us, but he remembers our sin no more. Jesus carried us on his shoulders and over his heart into God's presence. It, it makes me emotional to think that, that God loves me this much. To, to know that, that God looks down at me and, and finds me worthy of that kind of love. It pains me to think that, that Christ had to do this, that, that, Christ, that I was a burden to Jesus. But what I know 
is that he chose to bear this burden. What I know is that he chose to carry me on his shoulders. He chose to hold me over his heart as he went into his father's throne room. He chose to do this. He chose to do it before I was even born. While I was still in a condition of sin, Christ died for me. And Christ died for you. He chose this burden so that God would be able to set us free because Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. When I think about this, when I think about how much God loves me, the only response that I can give is surrender. When I think about the fact that God looks down on me, he sees me, he remembers me. Not just one time, but all the time, God remembers me. The only response that I believe anyone can give is complete and total surrender to God. I told you uh, earlier this week, and I mentioned at the beginning of our welcome, that we're going to be taking communion today. And, you know, one of the things that just as I was preparing this message, it just like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, was all of this demonstrated in, in Scripture about how much God loves us and how much He remembers us. But how often do we forget what He has done? And just, you know, I know Brother Chuck, he's, he's struggling right now with some issues with his hip, and, and we're praying for him, and we lift him up. But I remember just sitting underneath him, and while he would serve communion, something that always impacted him was what Jesus said while he served that Lord's table to his disciples. When he broke the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And, this is, uh, and he took the cup and he says, this is my blood that has been shed for you. What did Jesus say each time? He says, do this in remembrance of me. As if we could ever forget, as if we should ever forget. We should never, ever forget what God has done. So when I, when I think about it, what I, what I want us to do is to sit in a moment and remember that God remembers us. That right where you are, God sees you, He loves you, He knows you completely, and He offered His Son for you. He remembers everything that He's promised to you. He has been true to His Word forever. He will be true to His Word forever. So how can we celebrate His remembrance? It's by remembering what He has done. So we are going to, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. But before we do that, we need to just take a moment and reflect. Because in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks to the church in Corinth and he tells them that no one should take this without reflecting. No one should take this without, you know, kind of uh, just considering where they are with the Lord. And so I'm going to pray and I just invite you to pray with me. Take a moment to reflect and say, you know, God, what, here is the sin that is in my life. Give that sin over to him right now. Surrender it to him. You don't have to hold on to it. You don't have to stay in that condition of slavery any longer. You don't have to continue to suffer. Rather, cry out to God. And just like he heard the Israelites, he will hear you and he will set you free. He's already set you free by the power of the Son. You just have to walk in the freedom that he offers. Whatever it is that, you, that might be encumbering you, whatever sin that you might be struggling with, Wherever you are, whatever distance there might be between God, let, it, let him change that right now. Father, I come to you right now, God, and we, God, I just thank you. 
I thank you for how much you love us, for remembering us, for carrying us, for seeing us in our condition despite our sin, despite the struggles, despite everything that we do in every way that we fail. God, we are anxious, Lord, because we are going to be celebrating your sacrifice. We're going to be celebrating our remembrance of what you have done for us, God. But we know that we can't do that without reflecting on where we are with you. God, right now, speak to our heart. God, whoever is listening, let them hear your voice. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit just speaks to them. Let them see in, in their mind. Let them see even with their eyes. Let them, let them hear from you what you want to take from them, what you want to pull out of them, that how you want to deliver them from the slavery that they are in, the condition that they find themselves in right now, God. Let them hear how you want to draw them infinitely closer to you than they are right now. God, whatever is separating us, Lord, I I surrender it. We surrender it, God. If there is anything in me, God, that separates me from you, God, take it away. Take it away. It's yours. I don't want there to be any, any hindrance or any encumbrance, God, between us. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for those things. God, as we are here and there are those that are watching that may have never given their life to you, let this be the moment that they offer themselves to you. If that is you, just just pray with me right now. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. That he came to this earth, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and because of his sacrifice, I am forgiven. Father, forgive me of my sins. Separate those sins from me, Lord. Come into my life and be, Lord. Make me new. Change me from the inside out. Lord, help me to know what it means to be your child. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me to walk in your word, in your will every day. I thank you, Lord, for that forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.